you are able to stand, I would love for you to join me in that way. I'm going to, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about standing. Um, did you know, and I'm sure that you have heard this before, that when <clears throat> Jesus or the rabbis or whoever, buddy, whoever was teaching, a lot of times they would sit because sitting, the posture of sitting was authority, okay? Um, so when I ask you to stand, um, standing is a posture of um, certainty, okay? You're certain about what you're saying. And so that's why I kind of want you to stand for this. And then you don't have to stand for everything that I talk about today. You can sit down and <laughs> be comfortable. But if you guys could rise with me, and we're going to go ahead and, um, and speak this scripture. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Ladies, I just called you guys. I'm used to talking to my kids. So when I was talking about those postures, um, I was reminded when uh, Jesus was um, teaching. And uh, do you remember the story where the Pharisees brought um, the gal who they caught in adultery? Do you remember that story? So when the Pharisees approached him, Jesus was, you know, sitting down uh, teaching. Um, he might have been crisscross applesauce, I don't know, but this will help me because I have wedges on. But um, so Jesus was sitting down, which meant authority, okay? I'm teaching to you. Maybe some other people sat down too. For, for the most part, the teacher was sitting down. And then when the Pharisees said, hey, we got this gal, she's a sinner, and Jesus, what did he do? He kind of, he knelt, right? So kneeling, um, or, or, or um, kneeling down was kind of humility. You know, he's writing in the sand. You know, I did some research on that. Nobody really knows what he wrote. Um, I don't know. Maybe he didn't write anything. Maybe he was just trying to grab somebody's attention. But this, this was a state of humility. Okay, so you've got authority sitting down. You've got humility here. And then you stand and you have certainty. So if you think of it like this, like Jesus is humility sandwiched in authority and certainty, like a sandwich. I thought that was kind of cool. It'll, it'll help me remember those kind of postures. Um, and posture is a big word right now in our, in our churches across the nation, just having a posture of a lot of different things. So I thought that was really kind of cool. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just have a really quick prayer, um, mostly for myself. 
and um, then we're going to go ahead and get started. So, Father, we come to you this morning, and there's a lot of different things we could have been doing. Um, we are pulled for the, our attention, and we are pulled for our time from a lot of different sources. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to focus on you a little bit, to laugh, maybe cry, to learn, maybe not, to fellowship, most definitely. God, you made us in your glory as women, young girls. You made us in your glory, and we, we want to honor you with that. And God, whatever we come to with today, including myself, please let us lay it down <coughs> and allow you to fill us up. God, I have no authority to speak over your scripture, but I thank you for the opportunity for all of us to come together and be reminded to rest in you and to refill in you. It's in your son's precious holy name I pray. Amen. Okay, so my, the picture of my family um, was up downstairs, but um, I just want to tell a little bit about them, and for maybe a reason, maybe not a reason. But so on the far, my far right, your far left, is my 13-year-old, his name is Ledger. And Ledger, you know, you got to be careful what you speak over these kids, but Ledger <coughs> truly, truly is my miracle boy. I fell at 23 weeks with him, and I ruptured my membranes. And um, for some of you who don't know what that means, I don't want to get into that, but um, he was not supposed to be here at that point in time. I, had I was up in Dublin at this time, and I had maternal fetal medicine come in, and they said, what do you want us to do when he is born? Do you want us to save him? Do you want us, what do you want to do? 23 weeks is not truly viable with life. There's a lot that hasn't been formed yet in the womb. So I did a lot of crying. Um, I actually cried for five weeks in the hospital bed and six weeks in my bed at home. And um, the world kept revolving around me. People were taking care of my children. Um, and it was truly an experience uh, to meet God face to face. <laughs> in this time of turmoil. So Ledger, I always say he's my miracle child. Of course, he's my youngest child, and all the other ones think he's my favorite, but I mean, they're, I mean, they're miracles in and of themselves, right? But Ledger, Ledger worked hard to get here, so that's Ledger. Um, next to him is Skylar. She's my 19-year-old. She's a sophomore in college, um, and uh, she is studying psychology. Um, I, God knew what he was doing and given me only one girl. I'm more of a boy mom. Um, and the girl thing, I really had to practice being lists and my listening skills. <laughs> and you're, oh, I'm so sorry she did that. And I was more of a pull up your bootstraps, don't listen to what anybody else says. But um, so, and, and I, I just adore her. God's got some good and solid plans for her. Um, and, uh, and so that's Skylar. Next down the line is the guy who made me a mom. His name is Landon. He's 23 now, and um, he actually took the route of nursing. And um, he is a nurse in the, in the University of Cincinnati, down at the base, downtown. They call it uptown, but it's downtown. Um, and he works in the ICU there, so he's loving that. Uh, pretty new nurse, but 
getting a lot of experience. And then, of course, to my left in the picture is my husband, Gary. We've been married for 30 years. Got married in, well, we're, yeah, we're on our 30th year. We're going to hit 31 this September. So uh, we got married actually a week after I learned that I was a nurse because back then you waited several days. Well, actually, I waited 54 days to get um, word that I passed my NCLEX for nursing. So I, I don't know about you guys. You have to wait. Were you online? You waited? Yeah, because you look a lot younger than me. <laughs> 54 days I waited for that. And then the next week we got married. So I've been a nurse as long as I've been married. And then the last one is Kerner. If anybody is associated with the Cincinnati Bible College or, you know, um, had, had any kids or brothers or sisters, my dad taught at the, at the Bible College. My maiden name was Kerner. So... Um, there's just girls in my family, so our name was not going to be passed on, right? Um, so I decided to name him Kerner. So it's very phonic, not German, so that's Kerner. He is actually 21 years old, and he, um, he's still trying to figure life out. And uh, not, not a student, not everybody is a student. Um, but um, I say all these things, um, we, that just is one moment in time of us smiling and looking, oh, that's, that's a really cool family. Um, I, I, hate, I hate to say this. Skylar and I have been in a scuffle. We've ended on the floor. Um, Gary has chased Kerner and Landon around the yard with a rake. Um, poor Ledger, he's just perfect. <laughs> and my kids will go, he's your favorite. But what I'm saying is we are a, we are a perfect mess. Okay? I come before you. I don't really feel worthy of it. Because you could be up here. You could be up here to share your life. We're all trying to do this thing called life and raise the gifts that God has given us in the right way. And we're still trying. It's a process. My family is a process, um, but they're a lot of fun. So Landon, you can go to that. You, you don't have to keep them up there now. You can go to that blank slide. So Landon, when he was young, um, going into the first grade, uh, I thought to myself, how can I send my child to a perfect stranger for six to seven hours a day and be okay with that. I, I, I can't do that. I was working PRN as a nurse, which means I only work like, I don't know, one 12-hour shift in a five-week period, whatever. So I was working very minimal. So I decided that I was going to homeschool Landon. And so um, got a Becca curriculum, um, started homeschooling him, and I found out a lot about myself that I never wanted to know I found out that that was probably not my calling, and, um, but I also found out that Landon was really smart. Of course, they all are at, in that first grade. They're just sponges, right? They, just, they, they can do everything. Well, we did a lot of reciting and memorizing um, of poems, scripture, because Abeka was a, a, a Bible-based um, curriculum. They, most of them are, but some of them are not. So anyway, I said, Landon, here's your challenge. So we did this one, um, Psalm 34, 8 through 18. It, it took him, I don't even know, 20 minutes. And he could, he could just totally, it would fall off his tongue. And so, um, so I, was, I was amazed that he could do this. And I, it always stuck in my head because I thought, that's, a lot, that's what, 8 through 18? That's 10 verses for this kid to know. So it always impressed me. And, and I was always reminded of this scripture. But then as I grew, had experiences in my life, 
um, this scripture has been key to me in a lot of, of, of hard moments in my life. And we're going to talk about some of those. So when you guys think of the word recoil, what do you, what do you think of? And, and you can speak it out. A spring. Okay. You, you cheated because you just looked at that paper. Yeah, I know. That paper. There's a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, you can take notes if you want to. What do you guys think of? Back away. I like that. Reloading. I like that too. What else? Yes. Yes. Anything else? The word recoil is an old French word. It comes from the word reculer, R-E-C-U-L-E-R, okay? And it means to move back, back away. I don't know who said that. I heard it over here. It means to move back. A couple of years ago, um, I got smacked in the face with the word recoil. I mean, I was hearing it everywhere. I don't know if it ever happens to you. You'll hear somebody on the radio or somebody will be talking or, and you just get this word all the time. And if I was aware enough, um, I would have known that God was going, hey, I, I, got, I, I got something to tell you. <laughs> and he was trying to be subtle with it, but I just kept getting smacked with it. When I did work transport, um, we had a lot of certifications, all nurses do, but we, um, we had to have a lot of critical care, but we had to have our PALS, which is a pediatric advanced life-saving, and then we had to have our ACLS because pediatrics are getting bigger. <laughs> They're more adult bodies than not. So it was advanced cardiovascular life-saving. So we had to have those two things. And um, all those teachings, all those um, learnings are totally based on research. They're evidence-based. So they were finding that, that um, we weren't doing as good a job as we could in CPR, okay? Because we were missing, we were missing something. So... Um, their focus was on recoil. Give me a second. I'm going to use this thing here. <coughs> I think you guys have to do this. Okay, so recoil. Um, we're going to pretend this is a body. We don't have dolls in our house anymore. So I, I had to have something that I could push down on. So um, you can improve the quality of the care of the patient and their outcome if you remember to recoil, okay? Is anybody in here CPR certified besides my nurse friends? Yeah, a lot of you. Yeah, so um, I'm going to do a disclaimer. What I'm going to tell you now, uh, you can't hold me for it because it's just a, it's just a, a teaching tool. So. Um, so what you need to do is when you press down and you do this opposing force for CPR, right? It's 30 to 2 if you're ever alone. 30 compressions, two breaths, 30 compressions, two breaths. So <coughs> when you push down, what you're doing is giving a force. That's kind of like a, um, a contraction for the heart, okay? You're, you're doing the heart's job because the heart has stopped, um, and you don't want that to happen. So when you push down, that's your opposing force, and when you come up, that is your recoil. What happens here, there becomes a negative pressure in the heart, it draws the blood in, okay, and then you push, push it back out, okay? So you're drawing the blood in, pushing it out, okay, so you're going up. But if you go too fast, get a little nervous, you're not recoiling, okay? If you go too slow, that's not going to sustain uh, your life. So they teach you 
and, and we have these, these mannequins that'll talk to you now and all these things, but what you wanna do is you wanna go down, you wanna recoil, back up. And a lot of times we go, na, 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 na. Some of the adults, we go, ah, 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 stay alive, stay alive. Yeah, so, so you get recoil in the healthcare system. I gotta tell you a real quick story about the Pacers. Jeff loves the Pacers, does he not? He's taken me, my husband, and my boys, just my boys, to a lot of Pacer games, and we got this one time, and I thought, I need something that was, see, yeah, worked, worked like a heart. Anyway, I'm not gonna give that to Jeff, so I'm taking that with me, because we use that a lot. So, full recoil is essential because the chest is elevated. When I recoil, I'm up, right? It's elevated, and then I push back down. Um, the negative pressure exerts the ability for the blood to be drawn back into the heart. And when you let the chest fully recoil, it allows uh, the heart to more fully refill with blood. And if you don't recoil, you are not doing any good for the patient. You're not, because you're not, you're not allowing that heart to fill back up. Okay, that's, that's my disclaimer. If you go out there and don't say, Tangie taught me how to do CPR, I'm just explaining it to you, okay? <laughs> I'm not giving out cards or anything. <laughs> the refilling of God's dwelling in our lives is essential to our well-being. You can see the correlation here, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. He never leaves us, and he doesn't forsake us. His promise is that he will not forsake us, right? On the contrary, we get sucked into such an on-the-go mentality that taking a step back, right, moving away, or recoiling, it just never happens. It usually is the last thing that we do at best, and I am guilty of this. And if we don't move back or step back, we will never get the chance to what? Refill, okay? Here's a definition I found about recoil. <clears throat> I don't have a slide or anything for this, but I'll be stating it a couple times in here, and it's something worth writing down because when I read it and reread it and reread it, it really hit me. To pull back quickly, such as towards a resting place upon removal of a strong opposing force. I'll say that again. To pull back quickly, such as towards a resting place, upon removal of a strong opposing force. My family loves our dog. Her name is Misha. She's a Labradoodle, and she's really, really smart. She, um, she has been uh, a mama three different times, three different pregnancies, um, and with a total of, uh, I think it's 12 living puppies that are scattered throughout the tri-state. <laughs> <coughs> we had a lot of fun um, breeding uh, Misha, and she was such a great mama. And she will be seven in, um, in April, and she can't be a mama anymore. So, but um, we just love her. But prior to Misha and prior to my children, we had another dog, and her name was Whitney. And she was Golden Retriever, very shedding, and, but we loved her. She, she truly was a smart dog. Um, I was home. Um, when you're a nurse and you work full time, typically you're going to be working 36 hours, to, uh, three 12-hour shifts. So you have some days off during the week. So I was home, um, and we lived, do you guys know where Rumpke is? The sweet-smelling <laughs> mountain of nasty? 
we lived real close to them. And um, I had let Whitney out in the yard. Um, and our yard was pretty big. It was fenced in. She was safe. And I was inside. I, who knows what I was doing. But all of a sudden, I hear her barking. And she was not a barker. She's barking, barking, barking. And I'm like, you know, yelling out the window, Whitney, quit barking. And then finally I looked, and she was barking around in a circle with this snake coiled up. I mean, I thought, I thought only rattlesnakes coiled up, but apparently they all coil up when they sense danger. But this snake was coiled up and stood up like this, right? And, and i got to confess, one of my biggest fears is snakes. I do not like them. Um, I'm not afraid of much, but that I am. And I know that in our scripture it says, fear the Lord and I'll lack nothing. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to put my money where my mouth is, but I fear snakes. <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, Whitney, get away from there, get away from there. Because the snake would lunge, right? You've seen him. Has anybody seen this? Like, it would lunge at her and then it would recoil. I didn't know she was recoiling then because I wasn't getting ready for a talk. But as I'm thinking about it. She's recoiling, and, and I thought, she's going to get bit, and she, that snake's going to kill her. And so I called Gary. He was at church, and he's like, Would you, do, you want, do you really want me to come home? And I'm like, well, yeah. I, what am I going to do? He goes, call Dennis Cly. Um, right next to our neighbor um, is Cly Mower. He owns a big mowing thing, and he's got this big building that he keeps all of his overhead in. And so I called over to Dennis big, big guy. And I said, Dennis, you have got to come over here. Um, it's an emergency. And bring your spade, right? And he goes, okay. So I see Dennis walking. There's a little field between us. He's got his spade up here, and he's just walking over, huge guy. And Whitney is still going around this snake, going around. And I said, um, she won't leave the snake alone. I can't get to her. I'm not going to get close to Whitney because then I'm close to the snake and I'm afraid of snakes. I said, you've got to kill the snake. He goes, like, kill the snake. I'm not killing the snake. And I'm like, kill the snake. Cut its head off. And he said, no, because I have rodents in my barn and snakes take care of those. I'm like, you've got to get this snake out of here. So he ta <laughs> takes like a baseball bat and he nails that thing from behind. And it just like goes right over, right? And I'm like, okay, take the spade and cut his cut his head off. And he's like, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, it's gonna come back. And he goes, it won't come back to me. So he takes it and he shovels it up and it's limp, of course, and he takes it over closer to his barn and he throws it by his barn. Point being, I hate snakes. <laughs> I hate snakes. They recoil and they lunged at my beloved Whitney, and I was scared for her. Johnny kind of talked about our relationship um, over the years, <clears throat> and we were originally at a church in Miami Town, which is just right over in Ohio. Some of you probably know where it is. Um, Jeff was there, and Gary came to be their youth minister, and um, we got married, and then the Stones left us, um, and we didn't see them for a long time. I'm just kidding. We didn't actually. Je Jeff got called to, an, to another church. So... Um, we see them at a game at CBC watching her daughter play basketball, and all of a sudden we're talking about going up to Dublin. So Jeff and Johnny were up in, in Dublin at a church called Discover, and we end up going up there to Discover. So we're like stalking and following the Stones. And then the Stones leave Discover. They come back down here. Um, that's when they were at the church right before Jeff came here to minister to this um, congregation to Bright. 
Well, what do you know? TMJ and Gary show up at break. So we really, truly, we've been following. Now, I haven't heard any talk about us coming to Baseville, <laughs> but I'm done following the stones. <laughs> I'll, stay, I'll stay right where I am. Um, but when we moved back from Dublin, uh, we, we moved to Ross. I don't know if anybody knows where Ross is, but we moved to Ross, and Gary thought it'd be a good idea for us to get our CCW, right? I didn't want my CCW. Conceal, carry, guns. Didn't, didn't really want it, but he said, it'll be fun. We'll we do this together. So we went and got our CCW, and then we're like, uh, okay, we need to buy a gun. And then it's like, well, what gun do you buy? I don't know. It's got to feel right in your hand, right? It's got you got to feel like you and the gun are, are friends, and you, and you get to know each other. So I'm like, well, how are we going to know that? So my younger sister, her name is Taryn. She lives in Lexington, uh, Lexington Kentucky. Her father-in-law owns, I don't know, over $100,000 worth of guns, maybe, maybe more. And this guy, he's, he loves his guns. So we said, hey, Mark, can we come down and shoot some of your guns to see how they feel? So I'm going to tell you what I shot, okay? Because um, it's, oh, I don't have them all. Oh, well, I'll start making some up. I had a 9 caliber, I had a Siggy, I had a Glock, I had a honey, honey boy, lover boy <laughs> rifle. Everyone I had, when I shot it, like this, right? I'd shoot it, and <laughs> I'm like, I'm not doing it this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand still, and I'd shoot it, and I'd go back. That's recoil in a gun. Any, any gun shooters here? Yeah? You do, like, play, those things? Those are fun. I like to try that. Anyway, that's what guns do. Guns and cannons, if you ever notice um, in old movies, when they put that um, cannonball in, and they shoot that cannon, it rolls back. Right? That's recoil. It moves away. There's a force to it. Um, and I've got to read this so I don't mess it all up. But um, in, in those, in those, um, oh shoot. Hold on a second. Let me find my space. Shooting. Oh, here they are. Glock. 50 caliber Desert Eagle. Does that mean anything to you guys? Semi-automatic. A Keltec KSG 1911 45 caliber. Anybody shot that? I have. The Henry Golden Boy Lover, that's what it was called. I'm like, do I need to go on? Do I need to go on? I don't think so. Why am I telling you stories about snakes and guns? Really? Um, it's because of the recoil, okay? It's recoil is moving back suddenly, moving back quickly. This is one of the most powerful laws of physics, the law of conservation of momentum. When you shoot a gun or even a cannon, it recoils back when it's fired. When a gun is fired, the bullet gains forward momentum and the gun goes back. Okay, that's just the way that it works. That backward movement is recoil. Okay, um, if, you, if you got one of these, get it out. If you don't mind, just put it in your hand. I think these are kind of fun. I don't know. Do people have these? Kids, you wear them. I love them. It's got all different kind of colors. Um, let's talk about rubber bands, okay? So this is an example of elastic recoil. And I don't mean to belittle your knowledge of recoil, but I'm trying to make a point here, okay? So elastic recoil. When you stretch it, right, everybody stretch it, it should come back to its original place its original resting place, right? It should always come back to the resting place. Ah, now, now we're getting somewhere, right? I do not know how to return from somewhere that I have not been 
in a long, long time. A resting place in recoil or the act of recoiling and resting. There's an urgency right now in our country more than ever to recoil. I don't know about you. My kids are a little bit older, but um, I was just with some friends last night. I said, well, hey, what are you doing, Mom? And they're like, well, we start basketball at 8, and then we've got soccer at 9, and then we've got a dance, and then we've got a horsing, and it's all day. I won't get home till 9 o'clock tomorrow night. And I'm thinking to myself, I did that, I did that. <laughs> and just listening to you makes me tired, right? So to pull back quickly, such as towards a resting place, resting place upon the removal of a strong opposing force, okay? We'll talk about that a little bit later. I want, if my sisters could, I have a little special experiment for you. Um, if you're allergic to honey, don't take it. So, but what I want you guys to do, I want everybody to get one of these honey sticks. I brought 60. Do you think we have 60 here? Because I don't know if we need to share. If you get towards, hey, if you get towards the back, cut them in half. If it, the people in front will have one. Just hold it. Don't eat it yet, okay, because we're all going to eat it together. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about honey, okay? Um, honey is mentioned in the Bible 61 times. It's usually used for ideas. Does anybody know the symbolization of honey? Did somebody say something? Prosperity. Is that what I heard? <laughs> You're right. Abundance, okay? Remember that song? There's honey in the rock, water for my soul. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I love that song. So, um, so it's, it symbolizes God's care for us in our lives, his unending provision for us. My point in tasting this honey um, is, is, I'm going to talk about it here in a minute when we, when we all get those. Um, David uh, wrote the psalm. Um, that we, uh, we are kind of looking at today and basing all that we're learning on Psalm, Psalm 34. And David knew a lot of things. Um, and David was a feeler. He was um, an intellectual. He was talented. Um, and and he, he knew what he was talking about when it came to knowing God, right? Do you remember what, they, what we call him? And David is a man after God's own heart. So um, is everybody honeyed up? couple more seconds. Um, these honey sticks, you can't find them everywhere. It's, it's amazing where I had to, I actually had to go to Jungle Gyms to find these guys, or go online, but I didn't know if I'd get them in time. Um, I'll tell you another story. My, my husband, Gary, loves honey. He will take a spoon, pour it on the, and just eat it, okay? We grew up, that was our sweetener in my home uh, with my parents was honey. Um, so, uh, one year, when Gary turned 52, um, he's not 52 anymore, but I decided to, like, okay, how can, we, how can we do a real fun birthday party? So we themed it around 52. We got him a deck of cards, 52, right? We had this little chalkboard easel, um, and er he had to get 52 hugs that day. So every time you would hug him, you'd have to go over and do that thing. And then I got him 52 sticks of honey. And then I had a jar of 52 mints or whatever. So um, it, was a fun, it was a fun thing to do, but I don't know that I'll have any left over for him. He saw me packing them this morning, and he's like, can I have one of those? And I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to have enough, so um, I'll just buy him some for, for his birthday maybe. 
So, everybody have one? Almost. Anybody here not like honey? Okay, all three of you. <laughs> really? Why don't you like honey? You just don't like it? Is, is it the texture? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, everybody got it. Okay, so what I want you to do, in the beginning of the scripture that we're looking at, not in the beginning of Psalm 34, but in verse 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I, what I want you to do is just take a, take a taste. Don't eat it all yet, but just take a taste, okay? Mm. I don't even have one, and I can taste it in my mouth. I don't want one. Taste. How was that? Delicious, except for those three right there. <clears throat> what does it mean to taste and see the Lord? To taste something involves testing and sampling, which is what you're doing right now, okay? To see, to taste and see, seeing involves understanding or perceiving. If you had never tasted honey in your life before, oh, look, she's going to try it. If you've never, <laughs> you'll love it. If you've never tasted honey before, you wouldn't know what you were about to taste, right? I thought about what food could I bring that nobody would have ever eaten before, but they would love, and I couldn't think of one. So that's why I went with honey, but it's all over the Bible, so it's appropriate. But you're tasting it, okay? That's, that's your experience. Mmm, this is so good. Then what happens when you see, you perceive, you have knowledge. Wow, that was good. Now I know it. I'm just looking at it. I taste it. I experience it. Now I know. It's sweet. I love it. Did you try it? You're sawing. She, she blows everything I'm about to say. <laughs> the scripture taste and see means to try and experience. David, the author of Psalm 34, urges God's people, us, to discover the goodness of the Lord by personal trial and to experience it for themselves. We need to experience him by ourselves. If we never experience God, if we never taste him, I'm not talking about honey sticks anymore, if we never taste God and experience him, we will never know him. We won't. Which I think is amazing for David to go taste and see that the Lord is good. And sometimes you read that and you're going, well, I don't even know what that means. Now you do. Okay, now you do. Every time you see honey. The goodness of the Lord is by the personal trying to experience it for ourselves. He never intended for us to merely take his word for it. David didn't. He never intended for that. Um, okay, let's go with my, I got all out of place, guys. I'm sorry, that's not very professional. So tasting and seeing to know God's goodness is what David wanted us to do, okay? Uh, for that, the Lord is good, um, and he encourages us to act, actively experience and to know for ourselves the fact that God is good. So when you tasted the honey, I'm going to assume, just minus those three, that you liked it, okay? We like the taste. We associate that taste with satisfaction and with pleasure, when David said, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's calling us to figuratively take a bite. 
okay? Try it for ourselves. Experience it ourselves and find out exactly how satisfyingly good God is. The Apostle Peter applied the same language in 1 Peter 2, 3, when he says, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if anybody ever questions that again, you guys have the head knowledge, you probably had it before, that you have a little bit more with the honey to speak to that. Tasting must happen before seeing. You see, our spiritual experiences bring us to spiritual understanding, right? Our spiritual experiences bring us to spiritual understanding. David desired others to, to taste and see his God. He wants us to experience what he experienced so that we can know what he came to know, the soul-sustaining goodness of the Lord. In Psalm 119, 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If you really knew me, and I think, I think my sister might know this too. I really, really want bees. Does anybody here have bees? Like your own bees in a honeycomb? I want that so bad. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get that, but I would love to have that. I love honey so much. Okay, let's go with our acronym. We're going to go with RECOIL. And we're going to break this down, break this scripture down, and, um, and kind of see it in maybe new eyes. Um, R. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. In the NIV, refuge is mentioned 70 times, and they're all in the Old Testament, okay? So give me some synonyms for refuge. What, what, do, what do you think of when you hear the word refuge? Shelter? Safety? Anything else? Cover? That's a good one. I'm sorry? Nurturer? Protection, security, sanctuary. Psalm 118.8 states, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. My dad, he has passed. We lost him this year. But my dad used to always say if something was obvious, he'd go, duh. That would be a duh moment. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust humans. My dad would say, duh. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And then Proverbs 35, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. There are numerous scripture that talk about God's refuge. You know a lot of worship songs that talk about the refuge of the Lord. We need to find that refuge. We need to recoil and find our resting place, find our shelter, find our security. It's important to know that, or, or to, to experience that, remember? You tasted the honey, taste and see. <coughs> to experience that and then know it. I'm sure there are many stories out here of, of women who have found refuge in the Lord. I wish I had time to hear them all. But he wants us to find refuge in him. We're going to go with the next letter, E. Um, I went with emotional on this. Um, this is a huge factor in regards to our mental health. Emotional, psychological, and our social well-being. It affects how we think, how we feel, and how we act. This is a huge topic 
in the pediatric population right now. When I was in transport, 85% um, of our transports were newborns. They were from Margaret Mary, they were from Christ, they were from Good Sam, they were from the atrium, they were, we'd go to Texas, we took a baby back to Alaska. They'd come from all over, um, but 85% of our, of our transports were, were newborns. Um, some preemies, neonates, micro preemies, um, but 85% were that. The rest of it was pediatric. But um, when COVID hit, <laughs> everybody's like pre-COVID, post-COVID. When COVID hit, um, the need for our, um, our BLS teams, we, had, we were what's called a MICU, a mobile intensive care unit. Everything they could do in the ICU, we could do in the squad, helicopter, or plane. It was just a little tighter. So um, we were in MICU, but we also had BLS, ba basic life-saving. And a lot of our paramedics would take these kids, the, um, um, the, the mental health uh, population. They would come into our EDs, and, and we, didn't have enough, we didn't have enough people to transport them. And then we didn't have enough places to transport them to. They would sit for days in our emergency department waiting for a room and waiting for help. How's that for mental health, right? One of our big, big um, pulls right now or, or pushes right now, one of our goals is access, just having access for, for everyone, socioeconomical, um, cultural, racial, um, any type of disease process. We're trying to get these people in and have a place to put them. But the, 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 the mental health crisis for us, we actually um, hired 30 more paramedics for transport. You have to go two by two. You can never be alone. 30 more so that they could have more, more ability to transport these kids to a place where they, where they could get some help. Um, the National Institute of Mental Health states in 2020, couldn't really find much. Maybe they are still coming out with some information that it's an estimate of 26% of Americans ages 18 and up, that's one in four adults, suffers from um, a diagnosable mental disorder. They kind of break them down if you're reading about it. It's called any mental illness and severe mental illness. So AMI and SMI, you'll see some of those, some of those acronyms if you're reading about this. Um, but there are 52.9 million adults with any mental illness. This isn't the severe. 52.9 million people with mental illness. 24.3, that's 46.2% received mental health services. I mean, come on. That is a huge jump. There is a huge need to recoil. There's a huge need for Jesus. We've always known that. But now more than ever, now more than ever, you've got to find your resting place. Females make up 51.2%. Males make up 37.4%. If you do mental math, that's only 88.6%. I'm not sure what the other 11.4% call themselves, but that's huge. If you notice, 51.2 females, 37.4% males. Who, who's, who's, who's taking on the stress, right? Who's taking on the stress? Who does it all from sunup to sundown? At one point in my life, I thought it was my job to be the Proverbs 31 gal, right? Boy, that's a huge aspiration. My husband's 
on, on, uh, on staff for a church. Uh, my kids need to come all dressed up and their faces cleaned and their hair, because I've got it all together, right? Here's my kids, they're looking like the good family, happy, smiling. I cannot tell you, Sunday mornings were horrible for us. Anybody, anybody else? Couldn't stand it. I, I felt like a hypocrite by the time I got to church. You know, I'm thinking, man, why don't our churches meet on Saturday nights? Because everybody's up. We just go there, and then Sunday morning, we don't have to get people out of bed. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And even if you don't have children, you were a kid once. It's hard. It's hard to keep that up. It's hard to keep up facades. And not that, not that I'm doing that now, and not that I'm assuming that you're doing it, but we've all done it sometime, Right? 51.2% of us are suffering from mental illness. A national survey of the Children's Health Data Book shows that children in the U.S., here, here I'm talking to you guys out there, children in the U.S. are experiencing a mental health crisis with rates of anxiety and depression at unprecedented levels. We hired 30 more people just to transport these kids. 50% of mental health problems are established by age 14. And 70, 75% are established by age 24. I first got out of orientation in transport, and I was on my own. Transport is made up of a nurse, a registered um, a, a, a respiratory therapist. Sorry, they are registered. Uh, so you have an RN, an RT, and then you have a paramedic. The paramedic typically is the one that drives because you need two people in the back with the patient, and, um, and then they're there to be delegated to if, if the nurse so wishes that they want more IVs or things like that. So we were being dispatched. We still had beepers back then. I don't know if anybody carries a beeper anymore. They're pretty barbaric. <laughs> we had a beeper, and you'd read it. And, and, um, and it said, um, eight-year-old SI, which is suicidal ideation. And I stopped in my tracks. And I said out loud, what, what could be so bad at eight? Just out loud. I mean, I, I lived under a rock growing up. I had wonderful parents. They weren't perfect. They could have done some other things <laughs> a little bit better, but I had a stable household. And I remember that paramedic, he came up in my face. His breath was really bad. I just remember that too. But he was like right here. And he said, you, you have no idea. And I said, you're right. I don't want to know. I don't want to know that. Mental health is a big deal right now. We need to teach our kids that there is a resting place. There is a place to recoil. There is a place to refill. It's going to look a little different to them than it does to an adult. But the, the concept is there. You've got to teach them that. Our stressful lifestyles take its toll, and for us women, our emotional well-being is put into jeopardy on the daily. Anybody feel that? If we can discipline ourselves to just recoil, retreat, and return to our resting place, what a victory there is in that. What freedom there would be in that. We may have widows in the room. 
You may have empty nesters, mothers of teenagers, mothers of preschoolers, students, young adults, mothers of newborns. I don't hear any babies out here. Our mental health is up for grabs. And it is up to us to be fervent and diligent in our pursuit of emotional and spiritual wellness. C, let's go on. Crushed in spirit. Verse 18 speaks of two sets of people, the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Okay, I think I know what this means. I don't know if I know what this means. Proverbs 18, 14 says, The human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? So they're talking about being sick, and then they're talking about crushed in spirit. Have you ever been crushed in spirit? I have. I actually see somebody for it right now. Life is hard. And I don't have all the answers. But let's talk about crushing spirit. When sadness and or depression settles into your mind, your heart, or your soul, it is not easy to shake those feelings off, break out of the rut, and move on. As some goodwilled friends or family may suggest, just move on. At times, the inner despair remains. And regardless of the care and love offered from those that care about you the most, doesn't work. Several poignant people in the Bible struggled with some feelings of despair. So we're not alone. And they struggled for multiple reasons. But they all trusted one awesome God. And um, they knew that that God saves those who are crushed in spirit. So let's just go over that little list right now. Moses, Moses asked for God to take his life. That's called suicidal ideation. Job he cursed the day he was born. I've never been that bad, but I've had bad days. Jonah, he was angry with God, and he wanted to what? He was to kill me. I just want to die. Hannah, she grieved because her womb remained closed for years. Tamara, after her brother violated her, her brother, and those are things you hear of today, she lived a desolate life. Naomi, she was filled with bitterness and pain after experiencing multiple hardships. Hagar, she sobbed in the desert as she watched her son, who was just about to die. And Moses was overwhelmed. So God appointed him some help. Gave him Aaron, right? His brother Aaron. Job, he lost everything. Everything. Every child, his wife, every cow. I don't know what all Job had, but he lost it all. But God blessed him in his latter years. After Hannah poured out her heart to God, he opened her womb. And she gave birth to a son. Hagar, she cried in the wilderness, and God provided for her and her child's needs. And he, I promise you, he will go to great lengths to do the same for you. In the seasons of uncertainty, depression, sadness, loss, brokenness. Psalm 34, 8 through 18 is filled with promises, but it's also filled with a lot of verbs of things that God asks us to do. 
obedience. Let's go to O in our recoil. Obedience to God is to retreat back to him. Matthew 5, 6, Sermon on the Mount, okay? Got a little, another little story. Love to tell stories. In 2011, uh, did anybody ever here attend the North American Christian Convention? Yeah, okay, so they, and they don't have it anymore. It's such a shame. Um, but in 2011, it was in Indianapolis, and Gary had purchased t- a ticket, one ticket for me, to go to the women's luncheon, which um, if you guys ever went, I mean, like 800 women are in there, and I, you know, I just, I wasn't feeling it that summer, right? I'm like, I don't want to go and sit in a table. I mean, I'm going to know some people, but I'm not going with anybody. I, I just didn't want to go. And he goes, well, I bought you a ticket. We're not wasting your money, right? So I said, okay. So I go in there, and um, actually Lisa Turkers, I think she, I think she was the speaker that, that year. But anyway, we go in there, and um, if you were a minister's wife, unbeknownst to me, if you were a minister's wife, your name was put into a pot for a drawing. So that was happening behind the scenes. I didn't know. I sat way in the back in a round table, um, didn't know anybody at the table. You know, so you're going around, hi, my name is Tangie. Let's figure out, what is it? What's your name? Tangie. How do you spell that? That's been a story of my life. So, you know, I'm like... <laughs> trying to be, you know, a good preacher's wife and be happy that I'm there, but anyway, so we're going around the table, and this mariachi band's coming around playing. Johnny, were you there that year? Do you remember them walking around like, you were on my nerves. I just don't even want to be here. They went somewhere else, and then it happens. My seat is to the back, and the speaker's up there. You know, when the speaker starts to speak, that's when you turn your chair, but whoever was emceeing that that day, they go, well, so we're going we're gonna to pick somebody for our raffle. And they pick out, and they go, is there a, a tangy, tangy angel? And I, I didn't hear her. I don't know if it was because of the mariachi band. I don't know what was happening, but I didn't hear. I was just finishing my salad. And all the ladies at the table go, hey, didn't you say that was your name? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? They go, she just said tangy angel. So I turn around, and I stood up, and I'm like, it's me, it's me, it's me. 800 women. And... Um, and she goes, great, um, see me whenever. And I, I didn't even know what I had won. Come to find out I won a trip to Jerusalem. Okay, yeah, I should have gone to Vegas, right? <laughs> all for, uh, talk about smacking in the face. All, I didn't want to be there. I, I, I didn't want to go eat lunch. And then, and then God says, well, I'm just going to let you win this trip to Jerusalem. So uh, we started um, preparing for this trip to Jerusalem. Of course, it was um, with a, um, a tour and we got to tour, it was the most wonderful experience. But we also tacked on um, Egypt, because it's pretty close over there. I wanted to see the pyramids one time before um, I met Jesus face to face. And then we also, my friend lived in Hungary, and uh, we stopped there and, and spent a couple days. It was a long 15 days to be away from my, I only had three at that time, three younger kids. But um, So I won this trip to Jerusalem. So I'm so worried about being gone. So every day, Tuesday. Wednesday, I had these little envelopes and these little notes for my kids. Mommy loves you. I'll be back in 14 days. You know, later on, I'll be back in eight days. And they knew that I was doing this because I was like, your mom and dad are going to be gone for a long time. But every day you get to open one of these envelopes, right? So Landon, my oldest, he got on board and he wrote me a couple little notes. And he put them in my bag and he goes, Mom, don't open this till whenever, whenever. So when we were in Hungary, I opened his envelope, 
and Gary and I had taken a train from Hungary to, um, v is it Vienna, which is north? I don't know. Let's say Vienna. Could have been Venice, but I don't even know. Anyway, we went up. My friend said it'd be really fun to do. And so I opened this envelope. We had a two-hour train ride. It was freezing. And I opened it up, and he goes, Mom, I really want you to memorize um, the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I got out my Bible, and I started to memorize. For two hours, I memorized the Sermon on the Mount while Gary slept, which is what he normally does when we travel. So, um, you know, he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm memorizing. Leave me alone. Um, so he challenged me that. But here's, here's the funny thing. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Anybody know? You know this. They will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay? You've got to taste and see, or else you're never going to be filled. You've got to experience God. You've got to taste that honey. Then you're going to know, mm, this is something good. I want to be a part of this. And God will refill you if you step back into your resting place. Okay? I, you've got to be intentional. We have got to be intentional with our refilling time with God. I say this as one who is a failure at this most days, right? You wake up, you get moving, and you forget why you're here. Um, I just recently went to Florida with my two sisters. Um, we're uncommonly uh, close. Um, I have friends who have sisters. I have friends who have brothers. Um, sometimes three is a bad number. You know, somebody always gets left out, right? Um, we have seemed to make this work really, really well. And when we went to Florida, uh, we were just sharing with one another. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, before my feet hit the floor in the morning, I'm trying to remember God. So um, I found um, in one, you, you must think, well, that's all she does is read the Psalms, but I, I love the Psalms. But um, in Psalm, I believe it's 143. Here's the thing I try to do every morning. And um, I, I don't want to open any cans of worms here, but, and I don't know how you feel about the chosen, but if you've watched the chosen, um, you'll see when they wake up in the morning, the disciples, you know, everybody wakes up and they go like this and they say something. And I'm like, that's a good practice. That's a good discipline. I think I'd like to do that. But I need to find a scripture that I can memorize. So I, I found this one and I'm, I'm still working on it, but here's what it says. It says, um, let the morning bring me Word of your unfailing love, for in you I put my trust. Show me the way I should go, for in you I entrust my life. So I try to say that to myself every morning. Well, this morning I forgot, and on my way here, I laughed out loud because I, I, I've never been to your church. It's beautiful. Um, but I put it in my maps, and um, she was telling me where to go. And so I'm like, <laughs> that's funny. Show me the way I should go. And she did. She showed me the way I should go. I just thought that was funny. Anyway. Um, mm -hmm. 
I didn't ask you to silence him, so that's okay. So um, anyway, we, we need to um, make it intentional that we seek God first. And I'm not saying you all have to do what I do. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you, you don't have to answer, but I'll ask you, how, how do you do that? I mean, I don't, I don't do it very well. But I know if I don't do it, I'm in big trouble for that day. Uh, right now, I don't do transport anymore. I'm a clinical manager um, for uh, periop, a periop department, surgery department, um, at Liberty, our Liberty campus up north, up on 75. So I manage um, same-day surgery. So girls, if you ever come in for surgery, ask for TNG, I'll come and see you. I hope you're not there. But <laughs> the prepping part, and that's called same-day surgery. That's where they get you all ready. They ask you all the questions. You put your gown on, da 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 Then you go to OR. I'm not in charge of OR. Then you go to PACU, which is a recovery room, a post-anesthesia recovery room. So I'm in charge of the front side and the back side. That's what I'm in charge of. Um, I grieved leaving transport. One might say, why did you do it? <laughs> um, it, was to, it? It was a great opportunity to work on my leadership skills and my management skills. But, um, but I, I have had the platform and the opportunity to be very intentional over 64 employees that I'm over um, to, um, to set the tone for the day, okay? I've, I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations in my office because I didn't like how some people set the tone for everybody else's day, right? Because it, it'll, it'll spill over into your, um, your, your job responsibility that day if somebody else is having a bad day. But just that intentionality um, is something that God is really putting on my heart right now. You may, you may be there. You may have it down. You may, you may not. You may long for that. But God wants us to be intentional. He is always there. He is always there on that other side of the door knocking. You just got to open it, right? You've got to be intentional in opening that. So that's our I, is intentional. Let's go to the L. Um, life. In our uh, scripture verse, it says, whoever of you loves life and desires to, desire, desires to see many good days, um, it's freeing not to be enslaved by the world. It's freeing not to be enslaved by our schedules, by our to-do lists. Now, I'm not saying that you get up and you just are like fancy free. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to earn a living to, to, to eat, to do all those things. But I'm saying when you're intentional, and, and you seek out God, um, you're not enslaved by those, by those to-do lists, those schedules. Um, Skylar, my 19-year-old, um, she uh, grew up uh, with, with everybody having a phone in their hand, right? She, so she's 19 now. Uh, my kids didn't get a phone until they were 15. They, they thought I was the worst mother in the world. I said, man, I know where you are all the time until you start driving. Then I don't know where you are, but I do know where you are because I've got a tracker on you. But, um, <laughs> but so she gets this phone, and, you know, I, I don't know if anybody else struggles. Let me tell you this. There's some, there's some older women here. There's some younger women here. There is no one to ask, hey, what did you do when your kid wouldn't put their phone down, right? It was like, I would ask my mom, hey, mom, how did you, how did you make one of my sisters so independent? What, what, what was your parenting style? 
You should go, well, you know, we did this and this and this. But no one has any answers for these really crazy phones, right? Nobody does. It could be as easy as this. Just don't give it to them. <laughs> okay. Well, when the teacher says, get out your phone because I'm going to give you your... It, it's, it's inevitable that they have them, right? And it's so frustrating because there's nobody to ask, hey, what did you do? There's no... We're it. So Skylar was part of that generation. And I'm telling you, we... Our, our, our key phrase was, uh, their key phrase was, why do you keep taking my phone? And I'm like, I, I am not taking your phone. You are losing privilege of your phone. I don't want your phone. I have my own phone. I don't want the responsibility of your phone. You lost privilege. Now it's my phone, right? So the other day, Skylar and I were talking, maybe about a week ago. Um, she's less um, engaged with her phone now that she's got homework to do in college and two jobs that she keeps down and all these things, but she said, you know what, Mom? And she's 19, and there's times where she is, she just speaks so maturely, and then there's times where you're like, are, are you 19? But she said, Mom, I'm, I'm tired of consuming. And I'm like, well, that was a real mature statement. Can you tell me what you mean by that? And, and we, we had a conversation about that, that, that enslaving I don't even know what to call it, of, of the phones, the computers, uh, your iPads, whatever. I don't think God intended for us to be enslaved by anything. I think he's a, he's a God of freedom. She was tired of, she's tired of consuming. I, I just thought that was really cool. If we don't allow our hearts time to refill our CPR, and you push down, and you come back up for just a slight second, if you don't allow that in CPR, we are doing no good for ourselves. We're doing no good spiritually, emotionally, physically. We are useless to others, and our efforts are in vain if we neglect the recoil. So here's some application. When you recoil, of course, you allow, you allow God to refill you. You can then go and do what? Bless others. Right? Um, anybody ever go through the Ramsey financial piece where he says, you know, when you get free, now what do you do? Now what do you do with all the money that you save? You bless others. You have the opportunity to bless others. When you recoil and when you allow God to refill you, you can then go and bless others and encourage others who, what, have trouble, who are broken hearted, who are crushed in spirit. If you've been there, crushed in spirit, brokenhearted, having troubles, if you've been there, you know what a crushed in spirit looks like. And I'm pretty sure you have a good idea who in your network of friends is crushed in spirit. Who better to love on that person than someone who has been there? Someone who has taken refuge in our God someone who has sought peace and pursued it. He hears our cry. He delivers us. We just need to pull back quickly, such as toward a resting place, upon the removal of a strong opposing force. We talked about in CPR, the strong opposing force was you pushing down. Okay? Might I suggest that many, many strong opposing forces are in our lives. 
and they might look like this. The stress of an aging parent. Negative self-talk. The stress of a wayward child. Insomnia. A new job. The stress of a lost job. A broken marriage. Foreclosure of your home or your business. A lost friendship. Depression. Anxiety. My list, unfortunately, could go on and on. That opposing force, though, it can be used for the good. Because guess what? That recoil is coming. That resting place is coming. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Our resting place is in him and in him alone. Taste and see. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Seek peace, pursue it. The Lord hears the cries of the righteous. He is our deliverer. He is close to the brokenhearted. And he will save those who are crushed in spirit. Thank you for being a part of this this morning.